Locker Room, with all the sports news you need, live. Good evening and welcome to a slightly different locker room for this week. We don't have uh, Regan with us, we don't have Michael who normally would be presenting the show. Um, They are both uh, having a wee bit of time off. However, I am joined across the country in sunny Edinburgh with our our very own Graham. Good evening, Graham. How are you doing, James? I'm good, mate. I'm good. How are you? I'm very well. Enjoying my two weeks on holiday, my second week next week, so I'm absolutely delighted to still be off. Oh, right, right. So have you um, sort of gone away anywhere, sort of for a day trip? We did. We had had my brother-in-law and his two girls from England up. Mm -hmm. Um, So on Tuesday, we're a barge in Linlithgow um, there was 11 of us it was a lovely day really enjoyable my daughter managed to crash which was not enjoyable but it was funny but now it was a lovely time and now I'm just delighted to be chilling back and on the radio Ah, brilliant, great. It's always it's always nice um, to, to get a wee holiday so having a wee look at what we're going to uh, sort of chat about this evening as I say it's going to be slightly different because there's only the two voices here I've jotted down a few ideas and obviously if there's anything that you've thought of we can throw there in as well we're going to have a wee chat about ticket prices uh, for football matches um, have a look at tonight's derby the Fife derby between Wraith Rovers and Dunfermline a new signing for Rangers the Paralympics the fact that Jim Goodwin won't be at Celtic Park tomorrow yeah Hamilton have appointed a new head coach um, I look back at the Celtic uh, women and Glasgow City uh, European game and first time ever I believe on the locker room we're going to have a wee look at uh, some MotoGP stuff how does that sound? Sounds ideal mate, sounds ideal <laughs> I, th- I thought for a minute that you'd fallen asleep <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I tell you what. We'll, Not yet. Give it time. <laughs> I tell you what. We'll, we'll kick off um, with the first one on my list. Then the ticket prices for going to watch football in Scotland. Now, the reason that that came to to my mind was um, on th- a Wednesday. Sorry, uh, Celtic when they played a, against AZ Alkmaar in the Europa League, the top price ticket was twenty three pounds. However. When they play St Mirren this weekend, the top price ticket for an adult is £30. So how do we look about to see, you know, what the kind of ticket prices are? I thought that was probably a wee bit too high. But in actual fact, the, the prices are all kind of round about that sort of 20 to £30 mark. I know that you're a big Hearts fan. What would it be that you would pay, say, at Hearts? And would it vary depending on the opposition? It would, yeah. Um, I've actually got a ticket for the game on Sunday. The first time I've been at Tynecastle for probably about two years um, mm. to watch Hearts Aberdeen. I paid £29 for my ticket. Which I thought was a little bit expensive, mm. but I think tickets do bear on who you play. I mean, if we play something United, for example, it's probably going to be, I don't know, 22 maybe. Mm-hmm. I think it always does depend who you're going to be playing. Like, if we play Rangers or Celtic, it'll be probably 30 pounds. I think most clubs. Most clubs are probably the same. When the old firm in that company time, it's going to be a lot more than a ticket for, I don't know, St Mirren or Dundee or something like that. Yeah. I think it's just always going to be the case. Yeah. As I say, I mean, I kind of expect that, you know, if it's a Celtic Rangers game or Celtic Aberdeen, you know, Celtic Hibs, Celtic Hearts, that kind of thing, I do kind of expect it, you know, to be at the upper end, if you like. But and no disrespect here to St Mirren, but I don't know if I would pay 30 quid to go and watch Celtic play in St Mirren. No, I probably wouldn't either. I mean, to be honest, I would I would pay money if I was going to be watching a really good game of football. Mm. I'm not quite sure that's going to be the case. I mean, I, I can honestly, I think Celtic will probably win comfortably. They get a good game and it'll be entertaining. I don't mind paying 
how much it's going to cost, but I do think sometimes they are a little bit overpriced. Um, and certainly, I do recall, um, certainly not this season so far, but I do recall a good few years ago when likes of Hamilton uh, were in the Premier League. Um, you know, it, it was it was probably about twenty two to twenty five pounds, and even at that point, I thought that was still, you know, a bit steep. Um, you know, and again, I, I don't mean any disrespect to any of these other teams, but I'm just thinking purely from the point of view of the finance of of the ordinary punter, because not everybody can afford to have a season ticket, and therefore, obviously. You're paying that sort of price anyway over the course of the season and it gets spread out. But if you're just somebody who doesn't go every single week to, you know, watch your team playing because financially you can't, sometimes £30 is a lot of money to, to, to put out, you know, to go and watch a game of football. It is, and especially if you, if you were to take, like, your child or something with you, they maybe want a burger or a drink or a mm-hmm. programme, you're probably talking about 50 quid yeah. for the day. Mm. I mean, that is a lot of money to be spent on, on something like that. Yeah. I mean, I remember uh, a few years ago, um, my, my great-nephew uh, wanted to go to Celtic football game. Um, so I got tickets for him and his dad uh, and myself. It was Scott Brown's testimonial. And it was two adults and a child. It was probably about... 50 quid or something like that for the tickets but then of course when we got there he needed to get a program he had to be bought a scarf and then there was you know like pizza chips soft drinks you know all that kind of stuff um and i reckon that probably at the end of the day uh it would have come to somewhere in the region of over 100 pounds you know and that's that is a lot of money you know, a lot of money. And I've seen people at football matches with, you know, two or three children um, in tow. And you see them at half time, you know, going to the concession stands, you know, to get the chips and the burgers and all that kind of stuff. And let's be honest, things like that aren't cheap inside football stadiums either. Oh, no, they're not. I mean, sometimes you think you're better taking your kids to a trip to Blackpool rather than buying them a ticket or something <laughs> for a game because it's just, it is honestly, it's extortionate. I actually don't remember the last time I took my son to a game, but. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to grudge him if he wants a burger or a drink or something, but it is a lot of money to be spending for, yeah. like, a day. Yeah. And especially, like, we, we live in Pennycook at the moment. I'm not driving. So mm-hmm. You've got your bus fares, you've got the price of a ticket, you've got your burger, your pizza. It's, a, it's very, very expensive just for one day out. Yeah. I mean, I know uh, where I live, uh, I live in East End of Glasgow, um, and if I was going, even if I was going to like Celtic Park, which would be closer to me than say the likes of Ibrox or something like that, it's still, if I don't drive, it's still a two bus journey. You know, I have to get a bus to one place and then get another bus to take me to to Celtic Park. And even when I get there, it's not actually at Celtic Park. I've probably got maybe a 10, 15 minute walk um, from when I would get off the bus. And then, you know, you've got the same going back the way. If I was going to the other side of the city, to, to, to uh, Ibrox to watch Rangers, it would be exactly the same. You would need to get a bus into the town centre and then you would either get the subway or another bus to take you, you know, over to, to Ibrox. So it is a big financial commitment being a football fan, you know, and especially if you've got a few kids to take with you. But um, I mean, part of the reason I don't kind of go to... Part of the reason I don't really go to the games at the moment is because just because it's, it's too much money. Yeah. It's really it's a lot of money to spend on like one one afternoon, mm-hmm. and even like even if you go for like a couple of pints before the game, you're just spending even more money. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's yeah. crazy. 
No, I, I, I mean, it's supposed to be the sport of the working man, but really the working man in many instances can't really afford to follow the football because it's getting priced away from them, you know. I, I'm fortunate, I, I, I've been a season ticket holder um, for many, many years, um, and it's really the only sort of, in inverted commas, advice that I have is spending money on a season ticket. You know, um, I'm not much of a drinker or anything like that. I don't smoke anything like that. Um, so that is my one vice in life is my uh, football season ticket. <laughs> okay then, right. So that's enough about a. Uh, that's enough about what it costs to go to a football match. Um, we're going to another thing I actually meant to mention as well. Um, coming up quite soon is. Um, the Scottish swimmer, Duncan Scott, um, who uh, won the most medals, uh, I believe, for any, and again, in inverted commas, British swimmer uh, at the recent Olympics in Japan. I did a wee chat with his mum um, over Zoom a couple of days ago. We split it into two, so we'll play the first part this week and probably we'll play the second part next week, so that'll be coming up soon. But before we get to that, just sticking with the football for the time being, there's a big derby match going on tonight and it will be on the uh, <coughs> Scotland Channel. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Wraith Rovers versus Dunfermline. Um, what's your thoughts on that one, Graham? I think that could be a decent game. Um, I think the first game of the season... I can hear you. Yeah. You're a wee bit bitty, uh, I but... I think the first game of the season, I think... Oh, I think the first game of the season, I think Wraith Rovers were 4 up against Hamilton. And then they were pegged back to 4-4. And it was like four goals in 23 minutes. And obviously, after last week, Wraith had a brilliant result in the Cup against Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually watched that game and I thought Wraith were, fan- I thought Wraith were fantastic. Thoroughly deserved it. So I'm feeling a difficult start this season and I think Peter Grant's the manager there now and they're a tough I think I thought was watching that actually yeah, but we seem to be having a wee bit of a issue again with your, your internet there, Graham. So some of what you were saying was cutting out. But yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I didn't see the whole game last week v Aberdeen. Um, I saw a fair bit of it, and I thought Wraith Rovers were absolutely excellent. And generally speaking, um, the Fife Derby is usually a very, very entertaining game. There's obviously been a long-standing rivalry between both Dunfermline and Kirkcaldy, where Wraith Rovers are want to be. Um, and of course, Dunfermline, uh, of the two teams, historically have been the bigger side. Obviously, for quite a few years now, you know, they've not been, you know, playing at the top league or anything like that. But they still have that kind of big club feeling around about them. Yeah, 100%. Obviously, I saw firsthand Dunfermline last year when we were in the championship. I thought they were going to be one of our hearts' biggest challengers, but they kind of faded away. Um, I think for me, they're one of probably six teams that could win this championship, but I think they need to try and win this derby tonight. Mm. I'm not sure if there are some Finland fans in the ground tonight. I'm not sure if there's any fans allowed or not, but I think if there is, it'll create a fantastic atmosphere. It really will. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the atmosphere at the weekend was really good, and they did have Aberdeen supporters um, in for the cup game at the weekend. So my personal opinion... Uh, if you can manage to get, you know, X number of Aberdeen fans into a game at the weekend, then surely you can get, you know, some of the Fairmont supporters in uh, at the weekend. And in fact, we will talk about fans being or not being at football matches in a wee while. We're gonna we're gonna listen to the first part of that Zoom uh, that I did with uh, Duncan Scott's mum. Okay, so 
Graham and I will mute ourselves and uh, let me just get this up and running. This was me speaking with Duncan Scott's mum, Joy. Hello, I'm Joy McNaughton. I think the reason you got me here is because I'm mother of Duncan Scott. So just to put the uh, the listeners into uh, a bit of context, um, you, you actually know one of our colleagues at Indelive Radio, um, Fiona, um, yeah. and she had suggested that um, because of your connection with swimming as a sport, um, and also um, your son doing so well at the Olympics, um, you might want to have a wee chat with us here uh, for the Locker Room, which is our sports show. Um, so what kind of background do you have uh, in relation to the sport of swimming? Uh, not my favourite sport. <laughs> <laughs> Love watching it. The idea of getting wet and getting dried again, it's, it's, uh, it's a no-no for me. I'm land completely. My husband's the one that enjoyed swimming, and actually, both kids, both are, we have two kids, a daughter, uh-huh. son and a daughter, and both of them have thoroughly enjoyed swimming too. Yeah, it's it's a sport that um, in Scotland we seem to be producing over the last few years, certainly since around about the Commonwealth Games of two thousand and fourteen, um, quite a high caliber of uh, swimmers, you know, getting to you know the final events. We've consistently had very strong swimmers. I can think back to many um, Olympics where actually it's probably three three Scots in a relay of four. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, if you go back to Rio 24, 2015, exactly yeah. that. Yeah, I must admit, it's not really... I, I enjoy swimming, always have done, um, ever since I learned to swim. But it's not really a sport that, you know, I, I would have followed as such. You know, um, it was much more a recreation thing for me um, as opposed to, you know, sort of taking part in, you know, swim events and races and stuff. <laughs> so let's just touch on uh, Duncan. Yeah. Um, so he did really well at the, the recent Olympics uh, over there in, in Japan. How difficult was it for you as a parent, you know, not to be able to go and physically support him? To be perfectly honest, um, there are very few major competitions other than those in Europe that we have been able to afford to go to. Right. So there is nothing new for us to not be there, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. we did go to Gold Coast, but that was a big that was a really big deal. And we actually we crowdfunded and a lot of people helped us get there. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose um, that's always going to be an issue, isn't it, for families of athletes? Um, regardless of whether they're, you know, swimmers or field athletes, um, the cost of being able to get to, you know, like a major games or a major contest, especially if it's outside of, you know, the UK. Yeah, it's also the cost of the tickets. I think there's an assumption that as a parent, you would automatically have a ticket, but you mm-hmm. don't. Um, right. And certainly for the Olympics, we could be guaranteed a ticket one ticket, mm-hmm. but we would still have to pay for that. Yeah. So for somebody like Duncan, who is swimming almost every session, every mm-hmm. day, and he could be doing the heats for those too, mm-hmm. that really does add up. And on the yeah. grounds that you might only have that one ticket, that, that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's quite <laughs> tricky. Yeah, I, I, can, I can certainly see that. And obviously, um, there's a lot of time has to go into, you know, any 
uh, sporting activity when you're getting to that sort of elite level. Um, you know, there's a lot of time has to be put in for training and all that kind of stuff. Um, is it difficult from a parent's point of view to help to keep that support going or is it just something that you kind of got used to over the years? You do just get used to it. It's, it's. Uh, I think you, you, it does just sort of take over your life and then you, mm. does, you come out of the bubble at the other end because they are then in charge of their own, getting mm. to their own competitions and stuff, um, which makes life very different. But yeah, it is just yeah. part of what you do. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking in terms of, you know, I mean, let's be honest, if you want to do well in anything, you know, you have to put the work into it, you know, whether it's a sporting activity or an artistic activity or whatever it might be, you have to put in the hard hours, you know, to, to be able to reap the rewards. Um, and obviously, unless you come from a family where there is absolutely no limit to, you know, the amount of funds that they can provide to help you with that, it makes it a wee bit more difficult, I think, but I could be wrong with that, you know, to be able to get far in the sport. Um, I think there's quite a considerable number of misconceptions there because if you were running, you you go out, you join a club mm. and, and quite a number of clubs will have hardship funds now for those right. who may not manage. I have one or two queries though. I mean, uh, certainly West District, um, Scotland's divided into four districts for swimming purposes. And mm. certainly when we first joined, if you had been a mum with um, two kids, um, a single moment with two kids, you could turn up for an event, you could be uh, assisting poolside and your travel would be covered by the district. So in other mm. words, because you were helping out at the side of the pool, um, for whatever reason that was changed, um, which isn't ideal. Um, so therefore that can have a restricting effect because if you've got two kids in the pool, you're going to be there anyway. But yeah. if you're going to get some help towards the payment of, of driving out to, mm -hmm. for the sake of argument, Dumfries for a competition, then that that's pretty useful, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I I think you're right, you know, that that is probably a misconception um, because certainly from my own personal point of view, I, you know, I've got really no idea at all, you know, what goes on in the background to help get athletes to wherever it is that they're going to go, whether they're swimmers or runners or whatever it is. And it was interesting that you said there, you know, like some of the, the running clubs and that, they have like hardship funds. That was something mm. that I would never, ever have known, you know, unless I was kind of involved with it. Yeah, I, I mean, if I were if I were really blunt, um, both my husband and I attempted, um, we, we certainly brought up the, the, the question mark of hardship funds and why couldn't it be... Uh, um, tied to somebody's tax code or something similar and there was a huge amount of of uh, it was actually very upsetting to see that they couldn't see the benefits for that because you will have some very very good kids who through no fault of their own won't won't continue because there is a cost there is yeah. a cost of joining a club there's a, a monthly <clears throat> cost for maintaining club fees and then if you're going to go to competitions there's a cost in that as well yeah. And some of that cost, depending on the club that you're with, maybe maybe um, the club will will help pay for some of that. But mm -hmm. a hardship fund, I mean, frankly, Sports Scotland could be quite firm, but um, I I would be surprised if they will. But yeah. and to turn around and say we will give no more funding to this particular sport unless you can can and 
state that you've got a hardship fund in place. And those mm. are those are quite they are quite essential. But yeah, I mean, I maybe reading... it'd be better for us to have our own lottery funding though first. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny you should say that because I was just going to say that I, I was reading recently. Um, Although I didn't watch the Olympics, uh, I was reading some articles recently about, you know, the funding from the National Lottery um, for, you know, athletes and, you know, swimmers, etc. you know, getting there. And I was going to ask you, you know, is it easy or is it quite difficult trying to access that sort of support? Uh, you will have no choice in that. Right. Because if you haven't reached those standards, if you haven't stipulated at the start of a season what your your expectations would be by the end of the season, so you've got, for the sake of argument, 10 months to perform, but if you don't perform as you had expected to do, then you're not meeting the expectations that you've set yourself and your coach has set you, mm -hmm. and therefore you will not move on to the next stage you know you're not you're not putting the effort to get the, to reap the rewards but um lottery funding is entirely down to i mean all these top i can only really speak for the summers but the summers will have come out and they will have said this is what i expect to get if i don't get that if they don't get that their lottery funding will be removed straight right. away and there is no there's no there's no back in between pit if yeah. you're up here in scotland you will have if you're at university there will be a bit of funding from perhaps from your own university there's also winning students as as another form of funding mm. as well mm. and that's what keeps people in the sport at that stage but the most difficult stage i would suggest is probably when they're 13 to 16 because there's no funding really other than a local council grant of a couple of hundred pounds which would probably pay for an overnight stay. Right, <laughs> Let's right. be honest, you know, because when you go to a competition, it'll be five, seven pounds for competition fees, probably more than that now, because it's yeah. obviously a while since I've had to deal with them. I mean, I, um, I know um, slight different um, sort of events, really, but friends, their daughter was doing really well at 10 pin bowling, um, and she represented, uh, you know, Scotland and Fife as a 10-pin bowler, and I know that they found it difficult, you know, funding if they had to go, like, down to England or whatever for a competition, you know, um, they very much had to try and find, you know, the funds for that. That's the only real kind of, like, not even a personal experience, but close experience that I've ever had in, in respect of funding. And I had always kind of thought that because the lottery is supposed to be funding, you know, athletes and stuff like that i just kind of thought that there was this great big pool of money that you know was got together by the lottery and then people would just you know say right i'm going to be going to the commonwealth games in australia or whatever it might be and it's going to cost this amount of money you know and it would get uh, allocated to them but obviously that's not really how it works then no but also i mean if they go to if they go to the olympics it's the it's the british olympic authority that will pay for that and mm -hmm. that is completely void of government it is it is sponsored that is fully sponsored right. um and i believe that Team Scotland does exactly the same. Certainly, right. you know, you arrive. Um, in fact, I think it was Jack McConnell that set that one up um, mm -hmm. so that we had funds as opposed to Scotland appearing with, you know, bits of kit. Yeah. There was a fund available and and that was then provided for. Mm -hmm. um, so it's the lottery is you have fund, you have podium funding and podium potential funding. 
and the podium potential funding tends to kick in maybe when they're about 16 and there's a limit you can go online you can go on to British swimming stroke Scottish swimming you'll see who's part of those squads and mm-hmm. who, who will get funding and you will also see that now that the Olympics have taken place there were athletes who were expected to who, who might have been expected to get certain medals others that they were expected to get into the team and if they haven't achieved that then they are very likely to be without any funding at all yeah there are about 60% of all athletes that went to the Olympics. So in other words, 40% had no funding at all. Right, right. I mean, that's amazing to me, you know, because as I said, I had this probably an airy-fairy idea that, you know, they were all getting, you know, some sort of financial help. Um, but obviously that, that wasn't the case. Um, what about sort of like private uh, sponsorship then? I mean, is that a difficult thing? for, you know, since we're talking about swimming, swimmers to be able to access, you know, sort of like local companies or whatever, you know. It's very difficult because, frankly, the saddest part and most difficult part is that swimming is not covered by the TV stations. Yeah. Okay, so um, that's 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 the big, big delight. Somebody, um, I can't remember his name, unfortunately, but he set up the International Swim League, which will be on, um, you'll see it streamed in about two weeks' time. Uh-huh. And anybody who's signed up for the International Swim League will get probably about £15,000, which right. is hugely helpful towards their living, frankly. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. You know? so, and that's, that's worldwide. That's not, just, that's not just athletes from the UK. That's mm-hmm. all over the world. So mm-hmm. you know, the great thing about these teams is each team has a roster made up of maybe about 10, 15 different nations. Yeah. Much more interesting, very speedy. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of thought that it's a wee bit strange you know that it doesn't kind of get the the coverage you know on tv um because it can be very exciting i think you know when you're watching you know significantly more exciting than watching a sport that takes 90 minutes and maybe nothing happens (laughs) in the 90 minutes i mean i find it really interesting that and it also takes that 90 minutes might be outside in really wet conditions our weather is inclement you know um swimming you know it can take place it could be within 21 seconds or 15. 15 yeah. is our maximum, you know? Mm-hmm. And we all get up and go, oh, well, I'll go and get a coffee just now and come back <laughs> for the final bit, you know? So this idea of sitting somewhere and watching something last 90 yeah. minutes is... Yeah. No, I, I, do you know what? I completely agree with you. I mean, I'm a, I'm a massive football fan, you know, but uh, I do despair, you know, at the kind of money that gets thrown at it when you think of other sports that are, in my opinion, you know, equally as deserving, but for whatever reason. Well, the other thing is that they actually, the other sports are achieving a major, major things. Mm-hmm. I got very, very cross at, um, because you will have, you'll have Scottish ministers tweeting when the Scottish football teams makes, makes it to the Euros, but we've yeah. got European champions in other, on other sports. So yeah. there's an, you know, you, uh, it's a bit frustrating. You say, why don't you give more page footage to mm-hmm. the other sports on the grounds that actually they are achieving? <laughs> and when people see others achieving, they go and join in. They are, they're up. It's an upbeat factor. It's yeah. almost as if it's being suppressed on the grounds that we might suddenly realise we're okay at a variety of things. Because actually, there's a variety of sports out there where we're hugely good. Yeah. So there we go. That was me chatting uh, with uh, Joy Duncan Scott's mum there. Uh, a couple of days ago with regard to swimming and the uh, the financing of it. And I have to say, as I did say in the, the part of that interview there, I was under a misconception um, that because 
when you play the national lottery, they keep going on about you know they're funding sport and they're funding this and they're funding that. I was under the uh, the misapprehension that all of the athletes who were going to these major games were getting funded through the national lottery. I don't know if uh, you had that kind of opinion, Graham. I did. I mean, I didn't really know a lot about it to be honest, um, but I would have thought that was how it would have worked. Clearly not. I mean. <laughs> Honestly, the finances, the finances, honestly, I know. I, I 100% agree with you. That's, yeah. what, I, that's what I thought as well, honestly. Yeah, I, and it's true, you know, when, when you think about it, when we kind of drew the comparison there, you know, about the kind of money that gets churned into the likes of football specifically, literally millions upon millions of pounds gets funneled in there. And there are probably every bit as a worthy sports that aren't getting the kind of publicity and certainly not getting the kind of finance and unfortunately swimming is one of those particular sports and it is a sport that from a Scottish perspective sorry we have done very well at we have I mean I remember like years and years ago when I went swimming a long time ago we went to a place called Glenogo Baths down in Edinburgh um, and I think that's actually shut now they just never had the finances for it to keep it open mm. um, and I think that's terrible there's a lot of youngsters i mean i want to get my lad into doing someone because i think it's a brilliant sport to do yeah. um but again yeah. they're just not the fantasy stuff for it and mm-hmm. it's, it needs to be better funded 100 percent. yeah I, I mean i remember uh, quite a long time ago now um going to the original commonwealth pool in edinburgh you know as a schoolboy to to see school swim meets um when the school i was at you know would have a team of people you know, participating in, and also going to see, you know, uh, Scotland swimmers, you know, in competitions against England, Wales, or whoever it might have been, um, and that was quite an impressive building back then. Um, I think it's gone now as well, unfortunately, but for me, I just think, you know, that if we're going to do well in any sport, A, we need to have people who are dedicated to it, um, both the people who are taking part and performing in it and also the people who are running it. But also we need to be able to make sure that there's sufficient finance behind it to help it get along. And I was really interested when she was talking about the International Swim League, which is an event that's coming up and it's going to be streamed online. And we actually talk about it uh, a bit more in the second part uh, of the interview, which we'll we'll play um, next week, uh, because... It was around about 30 minutes or so, um, the full the full chat, so just felt that it was a wee bit too much to have uh, myself and somebody chatting away for 30 minutes um, without having some other voices uh, involved there. But one other thing I wanted to uh, talk about, and we'll put this up on the, uh, the uh, locker room Twitter page. I think I tweeted it already, but we'll, I'll tweet it again later on. Um, if you want to follow Duncan Scott, on Twitter, um, the handle is at Dunks, that's capital D U N K S underscore Scott S C O double T, and uh, he's in for a, a potential award from the National Lottery for being, you know, sort of a top athlete at the uh, Olympics there. And there is a link that I'll post on the uh, the locker room uh, Twitter page uh, at Locker Room Indie. And uh, if you want to email us, um, and I hope I get this email address correct, it is lockerroomindylive at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, if we pick up something from there, we shall certainly uh, have a wee chat about it. Uh, but I wanted to kind of stick with the uh, the whole common, uh, 
not Commonwealth, the whole Olympic Games theme, um, because next week it is the Paralympics, um, which again is taking place in Japan. And uh, it's, again, I have to put my hand up and say, do you know, I I don't think I'll watch a great deal of it. I may watch some of it, but I won't watch a great deal of it. Um, It's not really something that is of a huge amount of interest to me, any of the sort of Olympic sports. But I was reading today that uh, joint team captains for Team GB will be Hannah Cocroft and Alad Davis. Um, so I don't know if that how that will work if it's different from you know the way they do it for the the able bodied Olympians. Um, but I recognise those two names, <laughs> Anna Cocroft and Alad Davis. Um, would you be inclined to watch any of the Paralympics, Graham? I probably will. Um, I mean, it starts on the twenty fourth of August and it runs to the fifth of September. Mm. Um, and there's actually going to be ther- there's actually going to be thirty three. Scottish athletes in it, All right. um, which is fantastic. Um, I think one of the names that I recognise is Libby Clegg. Uh, she's from Dumfries, um, so I think she could do really well. I think, again, I think from what I remember, there's going to be no spectators at this Olympics, which, again, mm. it's disappointing because I think when you're an athlete, you want the crowd there. It gives you that extra buzz, and mm. especially if you've won a medal, if you're on the podium, you know, hearing that cheer would be amazing. The fact there's no fans is disappointing, but I think to have 33 Scottish athletes at this is tremendous, and I hope they all do really well. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I have to agree with you there. I think it's a major uh, setback if they're, if they're not going to have a, you know, people there to watch it. As I said, I didn't watch the actual Olympics itself, but I did read you know, quite a bit about it, and obviously that was one of the major things that people spoke about, was the fact that there were no spectators there. And I always remember, uh, you know, looking back at previous sort of competitions like that, that I had seen on TV, just how much the crowd can raise an athlete to a, a much better level of performance. Very much the same way that having football fans in the stadiums again can help teams I think in any sport I think it's important to have fans there but I think especially if you're a a solo athlete I think having that crowd behind you gives you that extra buzz Mm. Um, and I think you know I would say this for any sport I honestly think having fans in stadiums is so important Um, you know football rugby cricket whatever you need fans there I think it gives you that extra spark and I think it'll be disappointing for the athletes not to have any fans there. But you know what? These guys are athletes. They'll mm-hmm. do their best no matter what. And I hope they come home with loads of medals, especially the Scottish one. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you there. It'd be great, you know, if we do get quite a few gold, silver and even bronze medalists, let's be honest. It's a, it's a pinnacle of their uh, achievements to, to get to an Olympic Games. And if they get a medal there, all the better for them. So... One thing that when we're while we're talking about you know fans being at sporting events, um, I know we kind of briefly touched on uh, the hundred cricket tournament last week, and we're not really going to talk about cricket, Graham. You'll be pleased to know, <laughs> but just uh, just in terms of you know having spectators there, I've been watching some of the uh, the hundred cricket games on Sky. Um, I do kind of like my cricket a bit, um, but it's amazing how having spectators at the cricket games as well has made such a huge difference to the players on the pitch. You know, you can see that they're raising their game. I nearly fell asleep at the mention of cricket there. <laughs> nah, I'm joking. 
Um, no, I mean, as I've said, no matter what sport you play, honestly, having fans is so, so important. I don't think there's anything like running out and seeing a full crowd at a game. I just think it's fantastic. You know, to have supporters back at cricket again, I mean, these guys will be buzzing to be back inside the ground again. Yeah. Imagine what it's like for the cricket players to see that. Mm. It must be, honestly, it must just be, it must just raise their game even more than it already probably is. I think it is, honestly, it is so important to have fans back in ground. It yeah. really is. Yeah, and and even when you think about it, you know that there are a lot of uh, sportsmen um, who thrive on the negative reaction from opposing fans. You know, as much as they would thrive from the positive reaction of their own fans. Do you know what's funny? Because I'm not a big cricket fan, but I really like Freddie Flintoff. All right, um, yeah. I think he's honestly, I love watching him on like all these like League of Their Own and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I think he's brilliant, and I watch like. I watched some of the stuff he was in, like cricket-wise, mm-hmm. and he just loved—he just loved hearing the crowd, whether yeah. it was good or bad. He thrived on it. Mm-hmm. He liked the kind of—he liked the negative stuff because it made him play better. It was mm-hmm. like, "I'm going to prove you wrong, and I'm going to show what I can do." I yeah. think these guys must love it. It must be brilliant for them. Well, I must admit, I, I've always kind of been like that. Um, you know, when I was younger and I played in sports and stuff like that, the worst thing that anybody could say to me was that I wasn't going to be able to do it. Because it just made me redouble my efforts to prove them wrong. As much as to prove to myself that I could do it, but also to prove to those doubters, you know, that you should never write somebody off. I think this is the thing with social media. If you've got, like, Twitter or Facebook, you can have loads of positive stuff, like people send you, but you can also have loads of negative <laughs> stuff people send you. And sometimes I think, it, you know, these guys that are on Twitter and stuff, it must be horrible for them to see it, but they're probably thinking to themselves, do you know what? I'm going to go out there and prove you wrong. Mm. I don't care what you say about me. You know, I've I've done this. I've made a career for myself. You know, I think a lot of these sportsmen don't deserve the criticism they get, but yeah. it just makes them stronger. I think it makes them play better. Yeah. And do you know what? I always kind of think to myself that there's a certain amount of jealousy behind, you know, the, the comments that are sometimes put on social media towards sports people. And usually the people that are putting those kind of comments on are the kind of people that wouldn't have been able to get to that level anyway, you know? 100%. I mean, I honestly, I've yeah. never I've never seen the point of going on Twitter and having a go at somebody. Yeah. It's just pointless. You know, what are you hoping to prove? What are you hoping to learn or prove by doing that? It's pointless. I mean, do you expect these guys to reply to you and say something negative to you? If they do that, their career could be finished. They're not going to reply. Yeah. It's just pointless. It really is. I don't see the point in it. Yeah, well, that's the whole, that's the same thing, you know, for when, you know, if they react to, you know, the crowd, you know, in a stadium, you know, if they're getting harangued by the crowd and they turn around, you know, and they, they make a rude gesture or whatever towards the crowd, it's the person who's on the field of play that ultimately suffers. Not the bampots in the crowd. Well, uh, unless you're Eric Cantona with his Kung Fu kick <laughs> in the Crystal Palace band a few years ago, I think uh, that boy suffered more than Cantona did, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, oh God, yeah, I remember that well. Uh, I, can, I can actually recall watching that game and, you know, seeing it as it happened and just prior to him kind of launching at the guy thinking, what the heck is he going to do, you know? And then all of a sudden, there he was doing the flying Kung Fu kick, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I've but, never seen anything like it in my life. It was, it was obviously, it was obviously bad. But the guy must have said something quite bad from it to react like that. Oh yeah, definitely, absolutely. Right. Well, um, 
Let's have a wee uh, change of tack again. Um, and this is a sport that's quite dear to my heart. <laughs> um, MotoGP. Um, I don't know if you are a fan of MotoGP or any kind of motorsports, uh, Graham. Um, I didn't fall asleep at cricket, and I've not fallen asleep yet with this one. Um, <laughs> but I do know about I do know about Valentino Rossi, but that is pretty much about my knowledge of MotoGP. To be fair. Right. Well, of course, it's interesting that you mention uh, Valentino Rossi, the doctor, of course, as he was uh, known in MotoGP circles. He actually retired. Uh, last weekend, officially, after the uh, Grand Prix last weekend, he officially retired from the sport. And personally, I think the sport will be a wee bit poorer from not being there. He was a real character, and I'm sure that he'll get used, you know, as a, a kind of TV pundit going forward. Um, so it was really, really nice. But I just uh, just a couple of wee notes that I'd made, um, which I found quite interesting. Um, I've only gone for the top four in the current standings uh, on the, the MotoGP. Uh, at number one is Fabio Quattraro, who is from France. Uh, at number two, it is Francesco Bagnaia, who's Italian. At uh, number three is Joan Mir, who's Spanish. And in fourth position, Johan Zarco, who's French as well. And uh, Carl Crutchlow, who I like... Uh, as a, a motorcycle rider, um, he's an Englishman, um, but he's in twentieth position or something. Um, but he hasn't scored any points um, in the the GP season so far, which I think is a wee bit sad because he's he's actually a very very good motorbike rider, um, and he should really be you know farther up the the leader table than he is at the moment. Um, but as I said, I, I love watching MotoGP. I have done for many many years. Um, I used to go to Knock Hill um, up there in Fife uh, for the motorcycle racing and uh, I took part in a couple of track days um, back in the day when I used to ride motorbikes myself. The one thing which I find a wee bit difficult to get into is they now have a, what they call the e-moto, which is of course electric motorcycles um, racing uh, as well. <laughs> it's probably just me, but... I just find it a wee bit boring to see these guys on these two-wheel machines going round these circuits and there isn't really any noise other than the commentator. <laughs> I think I want to take up that sport. That sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know what? i tell you what, though. They're as powerful uh, almost as the, the petrol-powered bikes. Um, you know, they, they do... Obviously, they've got a, a shelf life because of the battery, um, but they they go to speeds almost the same as the petrol bikes do, and their uh, acceleration in some instances is actually better than a petrol motorcycle. But it's just the way things are going, you know. They also have it with the the they have a Formula E um, in the motorsport for you know a electric. A, kind of Formula 1, if you like. Um, but that I don't know if this is something that's added to the machines in Formula E or if it's something that gets added, a.k.a. the, the false fans during the pandemic football season. Um, but you do get a kind of noise as the, the Formula E cars are going around the circuits. So I don't know if that's something that's added to the car itself or if that's the TV company that's doing it. <laughs> You know, I think you talk about Valentino Rossi, and I think, I mean, 
for someone that's had the career he's had, he made his debut in 1996. Yeah. Um, and he's actually had 423 starts. Mm. He's had nine titles. Yeah. 115 wins and 235 podiums. I mean, that for any sport is incredible. Yeah. You know, what a longevity he's had to, to last as long as he has. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, he's, he's been an absolute stalwart of the sport, you know. And even up until last weekend, right, every time I watch it, right, I'm always rooting for him to get to the podium. And he might be, like, in 14th or 15th position at, you know, the the latter part of the race, but I'm still sitting there and I've got everything crossed in the hope that, you know, a few people in front of him, you know, will break down or they'll crash, not without getting, in, you know, not getting injured or anything like that, that he can get up through the field and he can get onto the podium, you know, because I, they, I just loved the guy, you know, he, he was a truly superb, superb uh, motorcycle racer. I think, like you say, it'll be a different sport without him, I think. Yeah, well, as I said, I think that's, I, I don't know for definite, but I think it would be foolish for the TV companies not to use him, you know, as a, you know, a talking head, because he's got so much experience within the sport, and he's a very infectious character, you know, whenever he gets interviewed, he's always got a smile on his face, you know, and he just makes everybody light up. Um, when he's chatting away, so I think if he was to move out of the sport altogether, it would be a huge, huge loss. To be honest, I think you see a lot of like sports people that take up punditry with the obviously the sport they used to play, mm. and a lot of them are very, very good. You know, tennis, football, some of them are very impressive at what they say. You know, they give you stuff you've never really thought about before. You know, I think the best commentators and pundits are the ones that tell you something you didn't know. Yeah, um, and I think maybe Valentino. I think Rossi could probably do that. You know, teach me something that I didn't know before. Yeah. I think that would be brilliant. And I think as well, at times they give you an insight into you know what it was like to be you know a participant in whatever the sport was. Um, you know, so the kind of the arguments and disagreements, if you like, in the background, you know. It's always interesting to know that, well, do you know what? These people are just human after all, you know, and they, they make mistakes. Um, there was a, it wasn't the weekend, last weekend's GP, uh, I think it was the, the weekend before or possibly the weekend before that, there was a, an almighty um, crash um, in which... <laughs> It looked, when you saw it in real time, it looked as if it was one rider who was at fault um, because, you know, he clipped another bike. Um, but when you actually seen it in slow motion, it was actually a bit of both. The, the bike that got clipped and the bike that clipped were both in the wrong a little bit. Um, but, of course, it, it completely cleaned out both riders. Um, and fortunately, you know, they weren't. They weren't seriously injured because that's the other thing with MotoGP, of course, is if the guys have a crash, you know, at the very least, you know, they might get a sprained ankle or something like that. But at the very worst, you know, they're going to break bones and, of course, ultimately, you know, they could get killed. I think it's kind of the same where, like, I haven't watched it often, but I sometimes watch, like, the motor racing. Yeah. Some of the crashes these boys have are <laughs> unbelievable. It's like, how are you getting out of that? That's just mental. The speed they go around these corners are is crazy. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was one a couple of weeks ago, um, maybe maybe even three or four weeks ago, with uh, Lewis Hamilton, where he, he clipped uh, one of the other drivers' cars. Um, and I think he received uh, some sort of points penalty or something like that. He still ultimately won the Grand Prix, um, even with the penalty that they gave him. Um, but 
again, it was one of those ones when you saw it in real time, it definitely looked as if Hamilton was the guy who was at fault. But when you get it, you know, and they look at it and they analyse it and they slow it right down, you realise that in actual fact it was just a coming together of two vehicles. You know, and neither party was really to blame for it. Yeah, there was a lot of fallout. For, there was a lot of fallout from that, though, from what I read about it. <laughs> yeah, there was quite a quite a, a stushy, as we say here in the uh, dear old <laughs> Scotland, with with regard to that. Uh, so yeah, so we are oh, we're almost finished the first hour uh, of tonight's show. Um, so it's obvious that we are really quite entertaining, Graham, because you know I thought it might have seemed a bit longer than an hour <laughs> at this point. <laughs> You haven't played Proclaimers yet, so it's all going well for my side. Ah, well, of course, that's uh, that's something that you have to look forward to, Graham. Uh, <laughs> ah, yes, indeed. Football crazy, football mad. That's a wee bit like ourselves here on The Locker Room. We are all just a wee bit football crazy. In fact, I would say we're probably just crazy about sports, um, but probably more football than anything else. Eh, Graham? Absolutely, mate. 100%. <laughs> Right, so that kind of brings us back to uh, looking at some football news um, and uh, Celtic and St Mirren tomorrow. Um, it was announced earlier today that the St Mirren manager, Jim Goodwin, uh, won't be uh, there for the game because he has tested positive for COVID-19. Um, and if ever uh, a reminder was needed that, you know, the dreaded lurgy is still kicking around. Yeah, I just don't think it's ever going to go away, is it? Um you know, this is happening quite a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to keep on happening. I hope, obviously, Jim Goodwin's okay. Hope he makes a full recovery quickly. Um, but unfortunately, it's something we're going to have to live with for quite a while, I'm afraid. Yeah. It's kind of ironic as well, in a way, because um, earlier on this week, uh, I was reading uh, some stuff about uh, players, you know, being double vaccinated. And in some places, there's talk of players not actually getting selected to play if they've not been double vaccinated. Um, personally, I think it's for everybody they should get double vaccinated, regardless of whether they're sports people or not. Um, what about yourself? Do you think someone should be banned from playing a game because they've not had two jabs? I don't think I would ban them. Um, I think that's probably a bit harsh, but I do agree. I think they should. I think everyone needs to be double jabbed. Um, you know. I think for sports people, I suppose it is it is more it's difficult. I think if you're getting left out of your sport because you're not being double jabbed, it's probably mm. a bit harsh. Um, but I think everybody should be double jabbed, whether you're a sports person, as you said, yeah. whether you're a sports person or whether you're just a normal person like us. I think it is important that you are double jabbed. I mean, I just hope, obviously, that Jim Goodwin makes a full recovery and he's back soon. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of put me in mind of um, there was a couple of times fairly recently um, where football teams couldn't field uh, an 11 um, because, you know, people going down with COVID and they, they were punished. Let's not beat about the bush. They were punished because they got the, the game awarded to the opposing team or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, and I personally felt at that point that that was wrong. Um, I know there's all the argument about, you know, we don't really have the time to, you know, keep replaying games, etc., etc. And I do understand that. But I don't really see why they should get punished because people get ill and they can't turn out, you know, the team. It would be different if it was, a, you know, 10 guys didn't want to play one week because they'd been out on a, the lash. You know, I wasn't going to turn this into hearts, but I'm going to. Um, we, uh, the league, 
the Premier Sports Cup, um, St Mirren were awarded a 3 0 win. Yeah. So we had to beat Inverness by more than two goals, mm-hmm. which we failed to do, obviously. But it all became down to goal difference because St Mirren were awarded a 3 0 win yeah. because the team who went to play had an outbreak of COVID and couldn't field a team. Now, I don't think that's right. Yeah. You know, I think that's punishing. You know, it, it's not somebody's. If somebody goes down with COVID or something, it's not their fault. It happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is a very harsh punishment towards somebody, a funeral win, who can't play a game because it's something that's out with their control. Yeah. I think it's wrong. And the, the, the thing as well is, why 3 0? Why not 1 0? Do you know what I mean? Because as you said, ultimately, um, when it got down to brass tacks, it put an extra burden on hearts. Um, you know, for something to overcome. Whereas if they had only been awarded a 1-0 victory, you know, it, it could have turned out completely differently. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand how they work out, you know, win. I just, I really don't get it. Um, I mean, in the end, it was hearts from what we didn't qualify, we yeah. didn't score enough goals. But we knew before that, because of that whole, you know, awarding a 3-0 you know, win, it put that bit of added pressure on, and mm. I don't think that was right. Yeah. The other interesting thing as well, of course, is that now that, and inverted commas, we're back to sort of some semblance of a normality. Whether you've actually been vaccinated or not doesn't really mean that you're not going to catch it. It's a bit like um, getting a flu jab. You know, I get the flu jab every year, um, but I could still catch the flu, although touch wood, that's never actually happened. In fact, the only time that it has happened was uh, the doctor was moving to another surgery, and I thought, right, I'll give them a week to get themselves sorted. And I got the flu. <laughs> so it just goes to show you that the jab works. And I think going forward for the whole COVID thing, I think going forward, uh, you know, it will be a case of uh, every year, probably you're going to have to get a booster. Um, you know, the, the whole population. Obviously, there's going to be people that don't want it. And that's entirely up to them. But then at the same point, you know, they then have to take responsibility if they then get it and they give it to other people. I just wonder, like, see for these Premier Sports quarterfinals, what happens if a team, like, say, I think Celtic play, is it Wraith Rovers, I think? Yeah. What was the, what would happen if Wraith Rovers or they could cover and couldn't play? Would that mean that Celtic get awarded with the win? I don't think that's right. It's completely unfair. Well, I think the precedent has been set, hasn't it? Because they did it earlier in the tournament, um, you know, by which they've given the award, you know, to, of the 3 0 win to uh, St. Mirren. Uh, and in all honesty, I think if, this, if that situation arose for the quarter final between Celtic and Wraith Rovers, and Celtic were awarded. You know, a three-nil victory. Certainly, Wraith Rovers and their supporters are not going to be very happy about it. But then, I think other teams who are involved in the competition are not going to be happy about it either, because it is effectively a free pass. You know, to to the the next round of the tournament. So I think the, as I said before, I I understand when they're saying you know that we can't really play you know, extra games. And that was probably true last year because it was a curtailed season. But surely now we're into a new season and to all intents and purposes, it's going to be, you know, the kind of usual season that we would get. Then surely they could cancel the game and two weeks later, three weeks later, whatever it might be, they could put it back on again. Well, that's what I would think. I mean, I completely agree. Last season, I know, obviously, that wasn't going to be possible. 
Mm. But I think this season, now you've got fans back in the stairs and stuff, I think there must be a free time somewhere that if that does happen, you could fit it in somewhere. I don't think any team should now be getting a funeral win yeah. on the back of that. Yeah, because I mean, you've got the uh, you've got the the uh, international weekend coming up uh, soon. You know, for the uh, the next sort of round of a uh, World Cup qualification games. Uh, yeah, certainly Celtic would have players. You know, who would be involved in that, whereas probably Wraith Rovers wouldn't. Um, but in theory, that would be a weekend that, if it was possible, that game was cancelled. It could get played. I mean, the thing is, was there not a occasional last season where Celtic were obviously about 13 of their players had to self-isolate and I think Hibs wanted to get the game cancelled but I think was it the SPLFL or something that said yeah. you play it mm-hmm. so Celtic essentially Celtic essentially played yeah. two kids and a few other first team regulars yeah, the game first on a draw, so they could still. I'm sure they could still play the game. Yeah, and there is an argument. Um, some people would disagree. Uh, I know for a fact that this would be true, but there is an argument that even the Celtic B team potentially could be better than Wraith Rovers, and therefore shouldn't really be at too much of a disadvantage and possibly lose out in the game. I know in the reality that probably might not happen. Um, because you just don't know with a cup game, you know, who's going to win and who's not, um, which was proven last weekend. Everybody thought Aberdeen were the team that were going to walk away um, from Starks Park with the, the win, and it turned out not to be so. Um, so, you know, that's just how it is in football. But, yeah, I mean, I personally think that if you've got a huge squad, and let's be honest, Celtic will have a big squad of players. So if they had, say, 10 first team regulars having to self-isolate there should be no need for the game to be cancelled all they should do then is draft in players you know from the b team or whatever it might be to make up the numbers i 100 percent agree with that i cannot disagree with you at all yeah and which, I just, is, which is worrying for me <laughs> well i i know that a lot of people you know uh, would disagree with it you know, uh, and certainly I'm sure a lot of Celtic supporters would disagree with it. And if it was Rangers, you know, Rangers supporters would disagree with it as well. And probably, you know, a certain amount of Hearts and Aberdeen supporters and all the rest of it. But in the interests of fairness, you know, if a club has big enough squad to cope, then there should be no need for the game to be cancelled. It's different if you're a smaller team, you know, like a Wraith Rovers, for instance. I mean, if they had 10 of their first team suddenly, you know, not being able to play, that's a huge handicap. A huge handicap. Because they'd probably be looking at, you know, youth squads then, you know, for players. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you wouldn't really want a youth squad going to Parkhead. I mean, okay, it's a big experience for them. It would be a great experience for them. But at the end of the day, you want to be competitive and that just wouldn't be competitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also it's quite interesting as well because I think that's part of the reasoning behind why you know, the, the Celtic and Rangers wanted the coach teams to, to enter, you know, the, the lower league um, set up uh, to give the players experience. And certainly, you know, back in the, the, the 50s and the 60s and to a certain extent the 1970s, um, youth players at the likes of Celtic and Rangers, Aberdeen, etc., they went and played for whoever the local junior team was. And when they were playing at the junior level, they were coming up against old uh, hardened pros 
who had, you know, no longer able to make it at the top level of the game, but went down into the junior ranks, and it toughened them up. And I always remember Kenny Dalglish saying that that's where he learned how to play football properly, was playing in the juniors. This is where I kind of sometimes missed the reserve league. Um, mm. I used to like going along to that. Um, like whenever Hearts were going away from home and I couldn't go because I was too young at the time, we'd go to Tynecastle and watch a reserve game, like say Hearts against, I don't know, Aberdeen or something. And you saw youth players, you saw a mixture of like first team players who needed to get fit. And it was brilliant. You know, you would see maybe 300, 400 fans at Tynecastle just for a reserve game. And I kind of missed that. Um, I think the thing with the Colts team, I'm right in thinking that the Colts team can only, the Rangers and Celtic Colts team can only go so far. They kind of get promoted to a certain division. Yeah. The, the, my understanding was that they could sort of go from the bottom division and get promoted up one then two, potentially, I think the the contention was coming round about if they were going to be going into the championship, and in theory, if they won that, theoretically they would then move up to the Premier League, and then of course you would have like two Rangers teams or two Celtic teams in the Premier League. So obviously you can't have that, but I don't personally, I don't really see why they couldn't start off in the bottom rung. And then if they win that league, move up to the next one. And then when they do get to that stage whereby potentially they could be going to the Championship and then theoretically the Premier League, that's where they get stopped. How you would legislate for that, I'm not sure. But I think that's quite a a normal way to think about it. I think this costume idea was talked about for so long. And it Mm. kept people were going, nah, we can't can't allow that. We can't allow it. Yeah. But it was like nearly every nearly every season it gets talked about, oh, we'll have the Colts, we'll have the Colts. Now now finally it's happened. And I think you've obviously still got folk complaining about it. Mm. But I think it is actually, I think it is a good thing. You know, these young laddies are going to get to play, you know, against kind of senior pros. Yeah. It's going to make them better. Sure, it's got to make them better playing against these guys that are going to, as you say, toughen them up rather than playing like against another another junior team or something, yeah. I think it's, it's going to toughen up a bit. And I think from a financial standpoint as well, um, even if it was the, the Colts for Celtic or Rangers or whoever that were playing, say, Stranra, for instance, you would probably get a bigger crowd at a home game for Stranra playing Celtic or Rangers Colts than you would if Stranra, say, played Dumfries, you know, something like that. So the, the, the swings and roundabouts, you know, but ultimately um, from... A, a smaller team, if they were playing even the the kind of youth side, if you like, of Celtic and Rangers, they're probably going to see a financial benefit for it. But that's one one for the future. Um, sticking with the old football, I believe you had a wee look back um, at the midweek and can maybe give us a wee update on how specifically uh, Scottish teams did in their European competitions. Yeah, so... Celtic played against AZ Alkmaar in the Europa League qualifying first leg at Celtic Park. Um, Celtic won by two goals to nil. Um, that man, Furahashi, scored again, six goals in six games. I honestly think if there's a better sign in this season, I've not seen it because he just looks electric. James Forrest again coming back into form. He got the second goal. Rangers beat Armenian side Alishkirt by a goal to nil through Fred Morello. Lundstrom was sent off after 40 minutes, but Rangers managed to hold on. Karabag beat Aberdeen 1-0 in the Conference League. I've got to be honest, I've seen the highlights of that game this morning and that pitch was awful. I mean, that is literally, that is one of the worst pitches I've seen in my life. I've seen public parts that are better than that. It was horrendous. 
Yeah. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> Andrew, unfortunately, Andrew Constantine picked up a bit of a bad injury. Oh, right. um, so I hope he's okay. Um, and then in Austria, last one that St Johnston won, St Johnston went ahead to Chris Kane. Um, and again, as they did in Turkey, that's a brilliant result for St Johnston. I mean, they have been fantastic so far. I think the home leg next week could be interesting. Mm-hmm. I said last week I thought they could beat Galatasaray at home. That was slightly wrong. But <laughs> I, honestly, I think St Johnston would be brilliant. I think that's another fantastic result for them. And I think they can hold no fear going to McDermott Park and beating that Austin team. I think they could beat them. Yeah. The, the, only, the only sort of downside, I suppose, is the fact that away goals don't count anymore. And that would have meant that the 1-1 draw would have been an absolutely brilliant result for St Johnston because then, assuming, you know, that they could pen the other team back to either not scoring at McDermott Park and they managed to get even just the one goal, then they were going to go through um, because of the away goals. But that's not there anymore. Um, so effectively, it is back to square one, you know, so they have to win it anyway to, to, to progress. But I was really quite uh, impressed by that 1-1 draw. And I believe uh, I'm right in saying that St. Johnson actually took the lead in that game. They did. Um, Chris Kane scored after 17 minutes. Um, he's actually a very good player. I've seen him playing obviously against Hearts and stuff. He's quick. He's got good movement. Mm. I think he's a very, very good player. Um, and again... You know what you're going to get with St. Johnson. They're very well organised. They're good going forward. They're strong at the back. I think Callum Davis has been fantastic for St. Johnson yeah. to come in. I think, again, like last week when they had a full house at home in the second leg against Galatasaray, they'll have a full house again next week. And mm-hmm. again, I think that might come massive difference. I didn't really see a lot in last to be particularly nervous about. Famous last words, of course. <laughs> um, but I think... Honestly, at, at home, I think St. Johnson could easily win that. And if they do, I think they're into that. I don't know what the Conference League is. Is that a group? Or yeah. yeah, essentially what happens is, um, assuming that Aberdeen and St. Johnson win their, their second legs, uh, it's effectively a playoff and they go through uh, and will get drawn into the Conference League groups. I'm not 100% certain how many groups there are. I'm assuming that it will be something similar to like the Champions League grouping or the Europa League grouping because there was quite a lot of teams involved in that conference uh, to begin with. And then obviously, um, you know, teams that didn't quite make it in either the Champions League or the Europa League dropped down a step. Um, So that kind of kept the numbers almost, you know, even uh, as they played on. So I I would love to see, and I, I... Honestly, I've got my hand on my heart when I say this. I would love to see Celtic and Rangers in the Europa League. And I would love to see Aberdeen and St. Johnson in those Conference League sections. Um, And all being well, you know, performing well and doing well through that. Um, Because at the end of the day, from a Scottish national perspective, it's all good. You know, it does the old uh, coefficient numbers, eh? a world of good. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I think for a number of years, a lot of people have looked down on Scotland and thought, I guess mm. that's poor league. You know, yeah. anybody could go in that league and win it. But I think to have at the moment, you've got obviously four Scottish teams still in Europe. Mm. And there's a very good chance that you could have four Scottish teams still in Europe after Christmas, which yeah. would be amazing. You know, I think, as I say, the Aberdeen game, I actually felt sorry for them because that pitch was horrendous. Yeah. It was so, so bad. 
You just you couldn't pass the ball on it. It was bobbly. <laughs> I used to. I watched our. I don't know if you ever watched it, but a view from the terrace. I used to watch. I watched that quite a lot. Uh-huh. And they had a segment on it where they go around these like different places and stuff. Yeah. And there was a place called Eris, Eriski. Mm-hmm. Now this place, they had to they had to clean the pitch because there was sheep on it and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> this pitch. Yeah. This, this pitch was better than that pitch last night in Azerbaijan, honestly. Honestly, it was so, so bad. But I think, I honestly think, again, a full Pataudry next week in that home game could be massive. And yeah. again, I hope, like you, I agree. I think it'd be fantastic for the Scottish teams to get further in Europe. It would be brilliant for the coefficient. But I 100% agree. It would be fantastic yeah. if we got through. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't see, you know, live pictures or even recorded pictures of Aberdeen's game. But I did see some photographs that had been put up on social media um, of the state of the pitch. And <laughs> it put me in mind of some of the pitches I used to play on when I was a wee boy. <laughs> and, you know, when, when, when it was dry, they were rock hard and very little in the way of grass on them. But when it rained, it was like playing in a, you know, six inches or more of mud. Um, and that just what that made me think, you know, when I saw the pictures of that pitch, that's just what it made me think of. But still with the European theme then, um, a couple of great results. Uh, well, one certainly great result, one potentially good result um, for uh, Glasgow City's women. Um, they played a, a Maltese team, Burkiri Kara. I hope I pronounced that properly. <laughs> and and they won three 0 And uh, the Celtic women's team they lost out two one to uh, the Spanish ladies of Levante. Um, now, technically, I suppose Celtic are not necessarily the the women's team are not necessarily out of it. But I, my understanding from what I was reading earlier on today. It is very much a case of that they have to, you know, win, you know, like the the next game and maybe the next game after that, you know, depending on how many more they have to play. Um, but from what I've read about both games, because I don't think, but well, I think the Celtic ladies game was on a Celtic TV channel. Um, I don't think the Glasgow City game was was being shown anywhere on television. But certainly from what I've read about both. Uh, games performances of both teams, they they did very well. W- what's your kind of thoughts in relation to you know the the, the women's game as it were? Oh, the team that Glasgow City were playing are actually called Burkakara, and I know this because Hearts played them in Europe a while ago and got beat, and it was embarrassing. So that's that name sticks for me. Was was that um, the women's team that beat Hearts? They, um, <laughs> to be fair, they were playing at the time. It probably could have been. They probably could have been. <laughs> But Glasgow City were dominant. They were 3 up in the first 43 minutes. They'd had 19 attempts with yeah. eight on target. The Maltese team really didn't threaten at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a, brilliant, it's a brilliant result for Glasgow City. Yeah. Um, I've always, I never actually know she was playing, but I've always rated Leanne Crichton as a player. Mm. She's a very, very good player. I think with Celtic, you know, whether it's women's team, whether it's men's team, Levante, these Spanish teams are always going to be very yeah. good technically. Mm-hmm. So to go there and only lose by two goals to one, it's not that bad a result. I think they've done very well. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of like watching women's football. Obviously, when Scotland at World Cup, I sat down and watched a lot of the games. And it is, 
it is really good. It's actually yeah. very good to watch. Yeah. You see some really, you actually see sometimes some better football with some of those games mm-hmm. than you do with some of the men's games. Yeah. So I think it is a growing sport. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I do remember a couple of years ago, um, I went to, to Hamden uh, to watch uh, the Scottish ladies team versus the reggae girls, the Jamaican women's team. Um, and that was a superb game of football. Um, and it was a great atmosphere, albeit, you know, I don't know, I think there was probably maybe a bit... 10,000 or maybe a little bit more than 10,000 at the game. But I think... It was uh, absolutely superb. You know, the, the talent on show in terms of footballing ability from both teams was, was brilliant. And the, the crowd, just fantastic. And like yourself, I've started to watch uh, women's football a wee bit more than I probably ever thought I would have. And I don't want that to sound like it's some sort of sexist comment because it's not. Um, it's just that it never really got the kind of coverage that it gets now. So... You know, you're getting women's football matches on TV now, whereas, you know, even five, ten years ago, that was unheard of. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of folk are getting into it now. Um, and I think that World Cup's actually helped. Mm. You know, I really like watching, like, Erin Cuthbert. I think she's such a talented footballer. You know, she never stops running. Yeah. She's just brilliant to watch. And I think, again, with that view from the terrace, there was a thing on it a while ago. It was a woman who um, had gone abroad to do her football career abroad, and she mm. was loving it. Yeah. You know, you had the weather, you had the climate, you had really good coaches yeah. and stuff for I remember that game you were talking about. Women's football was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and I hope that continues because it is, it is honestly, it's such a good sport to watch. Yeah. It, we're kind of losing you a wee bit again there, Graham, um, because of the internet connection. But, yeah, we kind of got the gist of what you were saying. There was something, I don't know if you are aware of this, it was just something that I picked up on um, not that long ago, something that I'd read, um, that in the early part of the 20th century, um, women's football was actually doing quite well, uh, and in Scotland. But it was actually the SFA banned it. So women were banned by the SFA from playing football for whatever the reason was back in the day. Um, you know, and they weren't allowed to do so for a very long time. So quite a few of the talented lady footballers back then did go, you know, overseas to likes of Italy and places like that where women were still being allowed uh, to play football. And I just think that's a shocking thing you know, that the SFA could have done. I know. There was a very, I think she was a very famous footballer called Rose Riley. Yeah. Um, she went over She went over to Italy mm-hmm. um, to play, and she made a brilliant career for herself. You know, I think a lot of these women, they do go abroad, um, just because there's probably better opportunities there. But I think sometimes when you go, like if I go to the public park, you don't see a lot of women play like girls playing football. Yeah. And I think it's sad, because I think it's, it's such a brilliant sport for them to play. Um mm. Again, it's the same. It's the same with men's football. You don't really see. There's a lot of kids nowadays are playing on Xboxes or playing on iPads or stuff. They don't watch the football like, like I would do yeah. when I was younger. I'd be out here at nine o'clock till six at night just playing football because I loved it. Mm. You don't get those. There's not a lot of that happening now. There's too many other things to do. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. Um, I mean, you know, when I think back to to when I was a lad, you know. When you, as soon as you come home from school, you know you get rid of your school uniform and you, you were out there playing football. You know, usually in the street, 
um, with your pals, you know. Um, and it was all about playing football, you know. That's all you did. I mean, when you got a break in school, you played football. You know, when you got home, you played football until it was getting dark, you know, and then you went home, you know. We didn't we didn't have the other distractions that, that kids have nowadays, and that's, do you know what, that's not really an issue to me. Um, it's just an extra thing for them to get involved with. But I do think that it does have a knock-on effect, not just for football, but for other sports as well, because they're maybe not getting involved you know, and running and all that kind of stuff. I mean, I remember as a kid in the summertime when the schools were off, PE, mainly PE teachers and trainee PE teachers would be hired by local authorities during the summer to run effectively summer clubs where you would go, you know, and you would do, you know, you would do rounders and you would play football and you would do athletics and all that kind of stuff. Um, I think that's kind of coming back a little bit. Um, but for a long, long time, you know, you never had anything like that during the summertime. I mean, it's, it's actually quite sad when you go, like, you pass a football pitch and nobody on it. Yeah. I think it's, you know, it's great being out with your pals and, like, playing football. And, you know, I could honestly play for hours and not, I wouldn't want to come home. I just want to go and play football. That's what I wanted to do. I wish I could have had a footballing career, but it never happened. <laughs> but I just think there's too much for kids to do now. Yeah, you know, it's all iPads and Xbox and stuff. They don't really want to be outside playing mm-hmm. football and stuff, and it is sad because I think you're losing a, a younger generation to the game, and it is sad for me. Yeah, no, I I completely agree with you. You know, I I mean, I can recall, you know, even when I sort of became an adult, I mean, I can recall walking past local football parks at the weekend and seeing lots of kids, you know, playing football or rugby or whatever it happened to be that was ongoing there at the time. But it is, again, it's a symptom of, you know, the modern world that we live in, that there are other distractions there for them. Um, So, but as football news, a bit more football news, Hamilton have appointed former player Stuart Taylor as their new head coach. What do you reckon on that one then? I think it was kind of came out of the blue that Brian Rice had resigned. Yeah. Um, I mean, he'd been there for a he'd been there for a long time, and he was kind of part of the furniture at Hamilton. You know, every year it was the same thing. Hamilton are going to go down. They never did. Hamilton's going to go down. They never did. They stuck it out for so long, and eventually, you know, they've gone down. Yeah. And I think I don't really know a lot about this guy, but again, it's a massive job. Again, I said before that Dunfermline for me are one of six teams that could win that championship. Hamilton are in there. They have to be in there. You know, you go to Hamilton, you know you're going to get a tough game no matter who you are. So I think it's a big job for them. Can he get them promoted? You know, I think it's going to be tough. And I think the other thing for me is there's only about a week and a bit left in the transfer window. How much is he going to be able to bring in in that Mm. time? It's very, very difficult. He needs to come in. He'll probably be in charge, I would think, tomorrow for their game. Um, And then he's got a week to decide who he wants, who he doesn't want. But again, you wouldn't really class Hamilton as a massive side. So trying to bring players in will be tough. But I think, you know, it's a difficult job. But, you know, if he can get the players he wants, he could do all right. Yeah. And of course, the thing that uh, Hamilton have been particularly successful with um, over the, the recent years is that they've had a very good youth policy. Um, and they've promoted a lot of players, you know, from the youth ranks into the first team. And ultimately... 
you know, those players, if they've done well, they're moving on um, and they're then earning money, you know, for the club as a result of, you know, either the development fee, depending on the age of the player when they move, or whether it's an actual proper transfer fee. And in fact, um, the recent Celtic signing, uh, a certain Mr McCarthy, um, did in fact star for Hamilton Ackies uh, before heading down south. Yeah, I think you've got James McCarthy and James McCarthy that were both at Hamilton. Yep. Um, I think I think that's something Hamilton could be proud of. You know, there is that old saying that if you're good enough, you're old enough. Yeah. And I think Hamilton have done that. I think if you're good enough, you're in that first team. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of the thing you find with a lot of young laddies is they don't show any fear. They just want to play football. You know, it doesn't matter who they're playing against. They just want to go and play. And I think at Hamilton, you get the chance to do that. Um, and I think it's honestly, it's fantastic what they've done with the youth project. There. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. I think, I think any team needs to have a proper youth setup. And one of the great things that was done by the late Tommy Burns, of course, was he was instrumental in getting you know the academy and the uh, Lennox Town up and running uh, uh, for Celtic. Although, to a certain extent, they've not really reaped the benefit of that work because a lot of their players were when they kind of get ready to hit the first team for whatever reason they're not getting in and then they move away to to somewhere else i think you know we like with celtic and sometimes even rangers i think the quality that celtic have got is difficult for young players to get in that team yeah um you know celtic can go and celtic can go and sign a six million seven million pound player and if you're a young player you're thinking what a minute i can step up and do that job but mm-hmm. I think the pressure on, I think the pressure on both old firm teams to win football games, to win titles, to win in Europe, is so big that it is difficult to put youngsters in. Yeah. But again, I think these youngsters can thrive on the pressure, but mm-hmm. they just don't get the chance. And it's it's happened before where like the old firm teams have come and taken a young player from another team, but then they don't play them. Yeah. They're left on the bench, and I don't agree with that. I think if you're going to sign the player, play them. I understand why they do it. Mm-hmm. But I think it is, if you're a young player, you want to be playing football. You want yeah. to be playing... Well, I've always maintained that. I've always maintained that um, even if it's a player at Celtic or Rangers, they're much better getting the experience there for a few years and then making that move. Ultimately, if they're moving from Celtic or Rangers, they're generally speaking moving down south um, to a team in England. Um, but it's much better to get that experience here than be the player who gets signed, say, from Hearts or Hibs and goes to Rangers or Celtic and spends their time sitting on the bench. And then the same would apply for some players. They would go from Celtic to Rangers down south to a team and they would be spending a lot of time sitting on the bench when they would probably be playing for the first team if they were still in Scotland. 100%. I mean, I think it must be difficult. If you're like, if you're at the old firm and you got a move to an English Premiership and then that team spends 25 million on a player and you think that's in your position and you think, oh, well, I'm not getting a game then. Yeah. It must be horrible for them to think that. Yeah, absolutely. In relation to footballing type anthems, um, here's a wee bit of trivia for you, Graham. I once had the great honour of meeting the chap who wrote The Hearts. Hector Nichol. Yep. <laughs> yep. It was uh, it's quite an interesting uh, wee story. I'll just give it to you before we move on to the the games coming up for this weekend. Um, I was when I was playing with uh, the band. We we were uh, I'm trying to think now where were we? It was in Al- we were up in Aberdeen 
um, playing a gig up in Aberdeen. Um, and this guy came in um, late on in the evening. Unbeknown to us, this is who, you know, it was Hector Nicol. Um, and he'd been playing somewhere else, quite, you know, along the street or whatever, and came in, you know, to, to hear us. Um, and he bought us all a drink afterwards and, and had a chat. I didn't know at that point in time, um, you know, that he was the person that had written that song. It was actually one of the guy, one of the other guys in the band who who knew that um, and, and kind of introduced that into the conversation. And I must admit, I quite like that song, the Hearts song. I think it's quite good. Well, of course, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant song, that's why. Why wouldn't you like it? <laughs> I mean, you know, the lyrics are just wonderful. You know, hearts, hearts, glorious hearts. You know, it's it's, it's an uplifting song. You know, even if you're not a heart supporter, you know, the, the lyrics are the, those types of lyrics. And as I said, I, I've always felt that, you know, the Bay City Rollers, because of the way that their songs were put together, could probably have done, you know, a, a really good football anthem. Um, I don't know if it would have been Hibs or Hearts that they would have done it for, I don't know. Which side of the fence they would have come down? I'll turn you into a Hearts fan yet, mate. (laughs) Well, do you know? Do you know what, Graham? I'm a football fan, Um, so you know. Although I do have my favourite team, I I do watch lots and lots of football, regardless of who it is. Um, You know, and as I said, and I I don't know if it was last week or on one of the other shows, I've found myself sometimes when I'm not able to get to sleep at night. Um, tuning in to Sky Sports and they've got football on from Outer Mongolia or somewhere like that, you know, <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll sit and watch. <laughs> but anyway, we are into almost into the final 20 minutes of uh, this week's show, so it's been an absolute joy. Um, and to be honest, in my own personal and humble opinion, I think we should just have you and I on it every week, Graham. I think it's much better. I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> but anywho, so a big weekend of football this weekend uh, domestically once again. Um, so have you got the um, have you got a wee list there of who's on? I do indeed. So tomorrow there are two games on. Um, three o'clock kickoff: Celtic against St Mirren, and we have Livingston against Motherwell. And on Sunday we have the four games. So we've got Dundee against Hibs at 12 o'clock, and I think that's on TV. We have Hearts against Aberdeen. Um, we have Ross County against Rangers, and we have St Johnston against United, and they're all at 3 o'clock kickoff. Right. So um, let's kind of take them in, if you like, sort of chronological order or logical order. Um, obviously, because Celtic played uh, Alkmaar on Wednesday, um, they are playing the traditional Saturday uh, three o'clock fixture against uh, St Mirren. So, how do you see this game going, Graham? I think he's frozen with his you know inter- I've been really impressed with Celtic. Oh, hello? Yeah, you no, me? you're back again, mate. I've been really impressed with Celtic the last couple of games. I said a couple of weeks ago, I think Celtic going forward, middle to front, looks very impressive. As I said, Kudahashi just looks like a completely different level. Mm. Um, it's not just the fact he scored six goals in six games. His overall game, his movement, is incredible. Um, I mean, last week against Hearts in the Cup, the goal he scored, he actually starts offside, mm. gets himself onside, and then smacks the ball past Gordon. It's a brilliant finish. The boy just looks incredible. Yeah. Um, I think James Forrest coming back is massive for Celtic. I think you said this in one of the group chats. 
David Turnbull is looking mm. a lot more like himself. Yeah. He looks very, very impressive. It's going to be very difficult for me for some minute again out of this game. Um, again, with Jim Goodwin not being there, I don't know how much difference that'll make. But I just, I honestly can't see anything more than a comfortable Celtic victory. Yeah. I, I mean, I personally uh, think that Celtic will probably win around about 3-0. Um, if they get more than three... Um, obviously it's going to be a great bonus for them. But the thing that I, for me, is that Furuhashi is technically probably not up to full speed yet. Um, and he's just like streets ahead of everyone else. And it is frightening, you know, if you think going, you know, on in the, the months coming ahead, you know, potentially he could get a heck of a lot better. Um, so <laughs> it'll be an interesting, an interesting game, no doubt. Do you think at the moment he's on a? He's on a do you think at the moment he's on a par with uh, Nakamura, the other Japanese guy you had a while ago? Um, yes, but for different reasons. Um, you know, the, the slightly different positions. Um, Nakamura predominantly, you know, played on the wing, uh, and then of course he had the superb free kick ability. Um, whereas Furuhashi. I mean, I've seen him being described as a player that would play out wide, but in all honesty, I couldn't. I don't think you could pin him um, because I've seen him. He's as keen to get back and help out defensively as he is, you know, to to carry on playing forward. And that's a couple of games now where he's more or less been centre forward, um, and he hasn't looked out of place. So you know, I, I I just think there's a lot more to come from him, um, you know, and I think it from other footballing teams' perspective, maybe not so much Rangers, um, but the other teams, you know, Hibs and Hearts and Aberdeen and Dundee United, etc. Um, I think it could be a real problem for them because he's he's just head and shoulders above, you know. So what's the next one you want to have a wee look at? Anyone you want? Oh, you've got the list there, mate, so I'll let you choose these. All right, let's go Hearts Aberdeen. All righty ho then. I'm, I'm, do you know what? I'm happy that you did pick that one because quite aside from um, the, 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 fo- the footballing aspect, once we've spoken about that, I want to have a wee chat with you with regard to the ownership situation, okay? But let's look at the game at the weekend. Um, I know we've spoken about this sort of off-air and your kind of thinking is that, you know, hopefully Aberdeen will be a wee bit too tired from, you know, their exertions of getting to and from um, Azerbaijan. So how do you see the game going? So I think, again, for me, a massive thing is there's going to be a massive crowd at Tynecastle for this game. You know, we've got capacity for this game. Mm. I was... Last week, I said that it was a free hit for mm-hmm. Robin Nielsen. And it was it was in a way. But I wanted them to have a go at Celtic. Yeah. In the first half, they didn't do that. No. I thought Hearts were dreadful last week in the first half. We never threatened at all. The formation didn't work. The tactics didn't work. We seem to be thinking, we'll sit back. But Celtic have the ball that we did at Timecastle a few weeks ago. And we'll try and get to half-time at 0-0. That was never going to work. You know, you could see after about 15 minutes, Celtic were going to score at some point. Robbie made a change at half-time when he brought on Josh Ginelli, and within five minutes of the restart, 
it was in the box causing a threat. For me, Hearts are better when we play three four three when we actually attack teams. I think on Sunday, the Hearts fans won't like it if we come out and start slow. Mm. We have to get we have to get at Aberdeen right for the start. As I said before, Aberdeen have been in Azerbaijan. Well, about a hard trip. They've played on a dreadful pitch. They should probably be leggy. Hearts need to start the game well. If we start the game well, have a go right for the start, we can cause problems. Yeah. If we sit back, let Aberdeen have the ball, sit far too deep, the fans are on the back straight away. Mm. That's, that's what Hearts fans do. Yeah. You know, we want to see teams that are attacking football. I'm going to say I think Hearts will win, but I think it will be probably 2-1. But I think, honestly, I, I keep saying this, and I, mm. I, I mean, no bones about saying this. <laughs> Having 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 fans back to capacity is so important. Yeah. And I'm actually looking I'm going I'm going to the game. I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to it. After ten minutes I might not be. Depends <laughs> on the result and how the game's gone. <laughs> but I just honestly I can't wait to be back in a I honestly can't wait to be back in a football stadium again. Yeah. I'm still looking forward to being back in a football stadium. Good stuff, good stuff. So a bit like yourself, um I think depending on how Aberdeen are reacting to you know the exertions of travelling out to Azerbaijan and back again, I personally think Hearts will probably win it by a goal. Um, now whether that's one 0 or as you say two one or whatever, um, I kind of expect Aberdeen to score. Um, so you know I don't really see it being a one nilla. Um, I think it's more likely to be possibly two one something like that. Um, but the other thing that I wanted to touch on um, was the big news that kind of broke this week surrounding Hearts and um, ownership of the club. Now, obviously, as a Hearts fan, you're probably in a better position to give us your view on it. I am so, so happy this is happening. The 30th of August, we will become the biggest UK fan-owned club in the UK. Mm. We have 8,000 members. Um, I'll be honest, in 2013 we went to administration yeah. and it was very worrying times we had £25 million worth of debt things were looking very bleak I remember being in the car with my wife going through to Glasgow for a show and the radio came on and it said that the week after our home game against St Mirren could be our last mm-hmm. I, was extremely, I was extremely worried yeah. I honestly thought I wasn't going to have a team to support mm-hmm. What the foundation has done has been unbelievable. Um, so the shares will be transferred from Anne Burgess Company Bidco to mm-hmm. the foundation. But honestly, it's been a long time coming. Yeah. There was a lot of folks said it'll ne- it won't happen, mm-hmm. it'll never happen. And in a week or so's time, it is going to be emotional, it'll yeah. be exciting. And it's, just, it's honestly, it's such a great thing about a heart just now because I yeah. never thought it was going to happen. Yeah, I thought we'd go under. I thought I would have no club. Mm. I thought my son would have no club to support. Yeah, it's so so exciting. Mm. I, I must admit, I, I, personally, I think that you know the fan ownership model is a route that perhaps not every football club should go down, but certainly more football clubs than are doing it probably should be doing it. Um, because it's been proven, you know, in other parts of the world, you know, in the continent, etc., it has been shown that it is a very, very successful model for clubs to do well with. So, more power to the elbow yeah, over I think, there. I think Motherwell are trying to do it. Mm. Um, I'm sure I've seen something about them coming fan on. It is for me to be able to go. I mean, we came out of administration in 2014, 
and it was when Ann Budge came in and obviously got the shares and we were going to be, you know, we were not in debt. Everything yeah. was looking great. It was so, so exciting. Mm. And I'm just, I honestly can't wait for the 30th of August yeah. because it's been a long road. I pay money myself for the Foundation of Heart mm. and I thought, am I wasting my money? Is this ever going to happen? Yeah. And now it's finally happened. And I could not be happier and could not be prouder to be a heart fan right now. Yeah. No, listen, mate, I, as I said, more power to the elbow across there in Gorgie because I think it's a superb uh, move forward for hearts. So, right, let's have a look at another weekend game then. So, who have you got on your list? So, I want to touch on, well, I want to touch on Livingston against Motherwell, mm-hmm. um, which is tomorrow. Livingston at the moment, bottom of the league. And we've only played a couple of games, but David Martindale last season had done a brilliant job for Livingston. Um, I think he struggled this season. I think it's been difficult for them. Yeah. I sometimes think that pitch can be a bit of a leveller. Mm. But I think folk have now worked out how to play on that pitch. Um, which, you know, I like Livingston. I think they're a very well-run club. Yeah. I think David Martindale's done fantastically there. You know, it's football. Things can change very easily. Mm. Um Motherwell, I'll be honest, when they appointed Graham Alexander, I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. I wasn't convinced by him. He's done okay, but again, I think going to Livingston is such a hard game. Yeah. I think that could be a draw. Yeah. Yeah, that that's kind of my thinking as well. Um that it'll probably and to be honest, I'm not sure if it'll be a score draw. I'm thinking it could possibly be a nil nil. Um as you, as you say, it's just that because of the pitch, you know, there are times when, you know, that pitch just plays into Livingston Football Club's hands. But there are times if the other team, as you say, have managed to pick up on the best way to play it, um, it can work against Livingston as well. Um, but I think also Livingston lost quite a few players, um, you know, at the end of last season. Um, so they kind of had to do a bit of a rebuilding job, um, which kind of gets brushed under the carpet a little bit, I think. Um, so maybe they're just in that kind of bedding in period, um, you know. So they'll have a few weeks or a couple of months when it won't be so great, but then it will start to pick up for them. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I think, as I said, we've got about a week and a bit till the transfer window closes. Mm. If Livingston can get a few players, and I mean, I I don't think they'll be in any trouble at all. I think they'll yeah. be more than safe. But they need to start picking up results, and I think especially at home on that pitch, that's mm. where they're going to get results. I mean, I've seen Celtic, Rangers, Hearts, Hibs go there and struggle on that yeah. pitch. It is a leveller. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's have a wee look at uh, Dundee United. Yeah, um, against Rangers, I thought they were outstanding. I didn't give them any chance at all. You know, mm-hmm. I thought courts. I watched them week before against Aberdeen. I thought they were very, very poor. They were very flat. They've obviously just lost Lauren Shankland, mm-hmm. but they've managed to bring in Mark McNulty, yep. who was there before, who's very, very good. I think Thomas Court, you know, it's a difficult job. Yeah. You know, anyone going at that job is going to be difficult. Um, but I think, and especially going to wait to Johnston. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've just come off the back of a great result last night. It's such a difficult place to go. I think it's a tough one to call. Um, I really, I rate McNulty. I think he's a very, very good player. If they can get him service, he will score goals. But I just think the way Callum Davidson and St. Johnson play, I think St. Johnson might just sneak that one. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and to a certain extent, 
Um, you would say that St. Johnson are the form team out of both of them. Um, you know, just basically on, you know, the games that they've played over the last uh, few weeks. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've always kind of had a wee bit of a soft spot for Dundee United. Um, thinking back to the days of the late, great Jim McLean, you know, when the tag that they were given was that they were probably the best football-playing team in Scotland, but they couldn't win to save themselves. Um, and that was true. You know, they played brilliant football, but they just could not get, you know, over that final hurdle and get the victories. Um, and when they did start to do that, you know, it really showed, you know, the, the great work that had been done. Um, and then, of course, they, they kind of went into the doldrums and all the rest of it. And then they came back and they've gone away and now they're back into the Premier League again. So I would like to see them remain in the Premier League. Um, although I think they will probably be in that bottom half of the Premier League table, you know, when the league splits. Um, whether or not they're going to be in that sort of playoff position, I'm not too sure at this point. But I definitely think they'll be in that bottom half. Were you surprised that Shankland went to Belgium? I was. And I'll tell you for why. Um, I honestly thought that... Maybe not Rangers or Celtic, but I honestly thought that perhaps maybe Hibs or Aberdeen, um, you know, might have uh, plumped for him. But then when Aberdeen brought in that boy Ramirez, the American lad, um, I think that kind of put the kibosh on Lawrence Shankland a wee bit. Um, so I was thinking possibly more likely to be the likes of Hibs that he would go to. Um, the whole thing, going to Belgium, for me, was just completely le out of left field. i never seen it coming. Oh, 100%. I thought there was a lot of speculation, a lot of hearts rumours that he was going to go to hearts. I never thought he was going to come to hearts, to be honest. Yeah. But going to Belgium, I mean, fair play to him. It's a really good move for him. But yeah. it was a very big surprise that he went there. Yeah. I think as well, if you think back on Scottish players who have gone overseas, um, the likes of Paul Lambert, and to a certain extent, a man who was in the news just yesterday um, because he's been diagnosed with a, a certain amount of dementia, Dennis Law, um, of course, played in Italy. And when they've come back from you know the continent, they have been better players. And I fully expect the same thing to happen with Lauren Shankland, and hopefully the Scottish national team will benefit out of that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what a player Dennis Law was. Yeah. I mean, he was, just such a, he was just such a brilliant player. And, you know, I always watch these, like, only these things, whether yeah. Jonathan Watson does these <laughs> um, things to Dennis Law, and they are just so funny. Yeah. They are hilarious. But what, yeah. a, what a player he was. Yeah, absolutely. So, who does that leave for us then for the weekend games? Um, Rangers? Well, we have Dundee. Yeah, we have Dundee against Hibs and we have Ross County against Rangers. Right, so let's go for uh, Dundee and Hibs. So, Hibs at the moment are sitting top on goal difference. Mm -hmm. um, they've had a very good start to the season. Um, there has been a lot of speculation the last couple of days about Mark Boyle. Mm -hmm. There was a bit of 500,000 from Aberdeen. Yep. That was rejected, and he's actually signed a new contract. Mm -hmm. I think he is so important. That, I think he is so important to his play. He's so so quick. Yeah, he's creative. He can score goals. I think keeping him and Kevin Nisbet, I think, is massive. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, the Hearts fan I don't want him to do well, but I have to give them credit. They're doing well this season so far. That pains me to say. <laughs> um, they've got a player as well um, called. Oh, what's his name? 
I've actually forgotten his name. Um, they've got a couple of very good players. They've got Gogic in midfield, who uh-huh. is just a destroyer, but he's yeah. very, very impressive. Um, I think, again, Dundee last season, they were okay in spells. When they came up, I didn't think they would do that much. Mm. They started the season decent. Um, obviously, disappointing last week against Celtic, but most teams have got a park here and I might get destroyed. Yeah. But I do, I do fancy, I do fancy him to win that. I think. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I would agree. I think it's got to be a Hibs victory. Um, and I was quite interested actually when you're talking about you know uh, Martin Boyle uh, signing the new contract there. That there was a wee bit of a speculation on social media, you know, about him maybe getting picked up by Celtic. But do you know what? I think that would have been a situation where he would have been warm in the bench. Because Celtic have got James Forrest there, they've got Abada, uh, they've got young Mikey Johnson uh, to come in. You know, they've got quite a few players that can fill into that wide berth. So he might not have been guaranteed a first team place the way that he is going to be uh, at Hibs. Yeah, I think it's important for Hibs that they've kept Boyle. Yeah. Um, I think he gets him such an outlet. You mm-hmm. know, you can play the ball over the top, you can play it in the middle, and he's so, so quick. If he gets ahead of you, you're not going to stop him. Yeah. Okay. So, the last one then of the weekend's games, uh, Rangers. Um, how do you see that one? Do you know, it's a few weeks ago I said I can't see anyone beating Rangers, mm. and now everyone's doing it. <laughs> um, they've had a. I think we've just lost about five Rangers fans. Um, <laughs> but. They've had a really difficult start. They've had a really difficult period. You know, they've yeah. lost the last few games. I saw Stephen Gerrard in the press earlier on saying that, you know, this is probably the kick in the bum mm. they need. Yeah. Um, they won on the other night against Dallas Kirk. Um, they probably could have won by more. Mm. But I think, I said, a, I said a few weeks ago, one of the main players for me is Ryan Kent. Mm. Since I said that, he's been really, since I said that, he's been really poor. Yeah. I don't know if he listens to me. I don't know if he listens to me and what I say, <laughs> but he's been really off form. Um, but I, I think Rangers will have too much. Yeah. I think for me, Ross County, when they appointed Malky Mackay, as I said before, Malky Mackay wasn't a popular appointment. Yeah, I think it's a difficult start. I honestly, I, as I said before, with Celtic, I can't see anything other Rangers win tomorrow mm. or Sunday. But again, you never know. Yeah, I think. I think the the thing with Ross County is that they're one of those teams that they might go on a run when they're not picking up, you know, wins. Um, Or they could go on a run where they're going to pick up wins all over the place. Um, And it's very much dependent on what Ross County team actually turn up on any particular day. Um, I was a wee bit surprised uh, at Malky Mackay getting that job. Um, I, I never seen that happening. Um, that was out of the uh, the ballpark for me, um, but I have been told that Ryan Kent does listen in religiously to the locker room, specifically <laughs> for you, Graham. Um, I have it on very good authority that he takes your word as law. So <laughs> I've clearly, I've clearly, I've clearly costed the form. Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> But and there's also there's been a wee bit more talk of late, uh, you know, possibly I'm going back, uh, going down to Leeds again. Um, that seems to be kind of resurfacing, which it's kind of ironic because when it happened last year, he wasn't playing particularly well, and then he suddenly picked up again and it died down. 
I mean, I watched him a few times at Liverpool, and this boy is such a talented footballer. Yeah. He really is. He's got everything you need. He's got so much pace. He's got great delivery. He's creative. He can score goals. Yeah. I just think, you know, wingers especially can lose form. You know, they can drop form. I think yeah. he's having a bit of a dip just now, but there's no doubt in the guy's talent. He's a yeah. quality footballer. Right. Well, it is almost time uh, for us to say goodbye for another week. Thanks for joining me, uh, Graham. It's been a pleasure as always. Uh, I believe Michael and Regan probably will be back next week. Um, Until then, from myself and Graham, ta-ra for now.